This is episode 190 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are 5 Simple Pre-Winter Home Tasks That Can Save Money and Headaches, Make Your Fuel Storage Last As Long As Possible, and Situations Change, Sometimes the SHTF, Life Changes, Medication Changes, But How? A Prepping Example. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Well, welcome to episode 190. Those of you experienced preppers and those that are new to the podcast and new to preparedness, Welcome. I hope you find something that you uh, that will help you with your preparedness today. We have three articles. Normally, I haven't been doing that, but some of them are kind of short, so I decided to add a third one uh, today, uh, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. Um, right into it. Our first article comes to us from Old World Farms Garden. Again, that's Old World. Old World. I. You know what? I always say that wrong. I apologize. It's oldworldgardenfarms.com. I think it's part of it is the way that it's um, they have it here on the the website. It's the graphic, I guess. It kind of uh, kind of throws me off. But the website address is oldworldgardenfarms.com. So I want to make sure I get that right uh, to you. And uh, this article is five simple pre-winter home tasks that can save money and headaches. Uh, you know, I know that some of y'all are already experiencing winter conditions. Some of my preparedness friends, I see some of their posts on Facebook, and there some of y'all are already experiencing snow up there. Uh, I uh, we don't get a lot of that down here in Houston, uh, but some of these are still relevant for us here. And so uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one. Sad to say, but old man winter is just around the corner, and with it, of course, comes fierce winds, heavy snow, slippery ice, and frigid temperatures. Not only can those conditions be hard on you, they can be damaging and costly to your home. So while you are prepping by pulling those sweatshirts, sweaters, and winter coats from storage, check out the five pre-winter home tasks below that you can do to help keep you and your home warmer and safer. It might just save you a few bucks as well. Number one, turn your ceiling fan blades in the right direction. The direction of ceiling fan blades can make a big difference in the comfort level of your home. It can also help save on your energy bills. In the winter time, blades should be rotating so that the air is pulled up. For most fan designs, this means blades should be turned to a clockwise motion during winter. This allows the cooler air to be pulled up and pushes the warmer air that is trapped at the top back down the sides of your wall. In the summer, reverse back to switch blades to a counterclockwise motion. This creates a wind chill effect with the breeze coming down and provides an overall cooling effect to your home. Let me just stop really quick here. Uh, my, uh, my son's fan uh, last year went out during wintertime. And uh, so we, you know, we, we installed a new one. And, uh, uh, we, you know, it was, it was cold, so, or not cold, but, you know, cooler. And so uh, we decided to go ahead and uh, do this. You know, we put the, the fans on the opposite way so that the heat would, uh, you know, come down towards him. And um, forgot, totally forgot <laughs> to switch it. And so here we are in wintertime. He's like, man, can we turn the AC down? It is just so hot in my room. And, 
and uh, you know he just kept complaining and I'm like man I wonder what's going on uh, I hope that you know the AC is not going out or, or what's what's happening and finally uh, you know he was just one day he was complaining really bad and I went in there and the fan was on and I noticed that it was rotating the wrong way uh, you know and I'm like you could feel it uh, that it wasn't rotating the right way and so I'm um, like man that's that's the key right there <laughs> I just can't believe that we didn't think about that so we, of course we turned off the fan flipped a little switch and all of a sudden it was it was dramatically better and uh, he just couldn't help he just couldn't I mean you know grasp it man how how just that little change affected the temperature in the room so much and uh, so now he, he's like forget it don't ever don't ever turn it back to the other one I want to just I want it to stay cool for from here on out I don't want to ever go through that uh, go through that again but it's something that that's little thing and you know in the comments some people will say you know how, how do you know if it's counterclockwise clockwise which way I mean you can feel it it just you can just plain uh, as day feel it and so if you need your uh, your fan to blow cooler air then just stand under it and if you don't feel it cool then you need to or cooler then you need to go ahead and probably uh, switch those bland uh, the fan blades uh, the the motion you know so have it going the other way and uh, get it sent uh, the cool air down to you because uh, it makes a it makes a pretty dramatic difference there so and then it makes a dramatic uh, you know difference if you're wanting it warmer and uh, you, you go ahead and flip it that way but anyway uh, definitely keep that in mind. Number two is unhook outside hoses. One of the easiest and yet most forgotten pre-winter home tasks is to unhook outside water hoses. Hoses left hooked through the winter can easily burst from constant freezing and thawing. Not only can they be costly to replace, they can cause serious water damage if the spout happens to be or happens to still be on and a leak occurs. Now is the time to unhook, drain, and store away hoses to protect them through the winter time. Number three, close off and open outside spigots. While you are putting the hose away, be sure to shut off outside spigots from the inside as well. If you have interior shut off valves to outside water lines, now is the time to shut them off before the freezing temperatures arrive. Once shut off from the inside, open up the outside spigot to allow all water to drain out. This will prevent your spigots and the line outside from cracking, splitting, and failing. Uh, so I guess maybe ho uh, homes up north are just a set a little bit differently. We don't have this set up uh, at all down here in Houston. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, we have the shutoff valve the, to from the line that's coming from uh, the municipal or municipality. Boy, I can talk. Uh, or the if you if you're in the city, you know, uh, city water. And so we have the shutoff there. And then I have a shutoff in my garage where the water is coming into the house again. So it's a, basically a shutoff from the, the shutoff valve at the, towards the street uh, to my house. And uh, that's about it. So it makes it easier. But I know that in home, other homes that I've lived in, we didn't have that shutoff in the garage. Um, but I guess some of you guys up north, you have a, you know, more of a, you have a shutoff at the, the water that's going out, I guess. You have water, a shutoff that's, uh, in the house that kind of uh, allows you to, to drain those pipes uh, out there. Um, we do, you know, maybe like once or twice a year, if it's going to get really, really cold, uh, we just kind of let, let leave the, the water dripping and just to make sure so it doesn't, it doesn't ever uh, completely freeze. We do that in the home uh, sometimes. It's just very, very, you know, just a little drip. 
And uh, so, but I don't, I don't know. I guess uh, those of you up north don't do something like that. We also insulate our uh, our outside pipes. You know, just you know, it's something we just go run to Home Depot and grab some stuff. Uh, it's not a lot of. We don't put a lot of work into it at all because we just don't have the cold, cold winters uh, like you guys have up north. So I, I bet it's a whole totally different scene up there for you guys. Uh, number four is clean out gutters and downspouts. Nothing can cause more damage to your home through winter than clogged gutters and downspouts. Ice and snow backup, backups can easily form when gutters are full of leaves and debris. When backups occur, it can lead to everything from roof leaks to gutters falling off of your house. So get out there now and make sure all is clear. It's much easier to perform now than when the ice and snow have already formed. And definitely uh, easier to do now when the temperatures are a little bit more favorable than really freezing temperatures. And number five is change your furnace filters. Last but not least, take a moment to change out your furnace filters. A dirty furnace filter can cost you in so many ways. When a filter becomes clogged, your furnace has to work harder, meaning it is far less efficient. It also leads to poor air quality in your home, which can mean huge problems when it comes to allergies. Here's to getting through another long winter safe and sound. Jim and Mary. Uh, we, we do, we change out our air filters very often and I usually buy like uh, the, the three month filter and uh, change it out every two months. So we have tile floors and uh, there is just, you know, the dust, the dust is kind of, it's kind of funny. It just, it settles in certain places in the house, I guess with the way that, um, uh, you know, air moves and stuff like that in the house. Um, but I don't know if you've ever seen carpet pulled up. Uh, this was just a really, um, talking about tile, I know I'm just kind of getting off on a tangent, but uh, when we ran the group home for kids, um, they pulled up the carpet and we, we got new carpet one year and they pulled up the carpet and oh my gosh, it was so nasty. Uh, just what was underneath, just the, the layer of, of dirt and, uh, and dust and uh, man, that just really, um, sealed my my uh, desire to never have carpet, you know, in a house again. So we have wall-to-wall uh, -wall tile, which is uh, you know fine because uh, it's a little bit cooler in the winter time. But we don't have you know uh, our winters are, are not uh, that hard. Plus, um, in the summertime, uh, it's a, definitely cooler. You can walk around with your you know with uh, barefoot. And uh, you know, feel feel the the cool tile, so that's always a little helpful. Uh, and it's just you know uh, easier to, to to clean and and sweep up. At least I think so. But easier on the allergies too. So um, you know, though we don't we don't have that aspect, but uh, we do change out uh, the air filters, the AC filters, very very often because uh, they just you know tend to get the the dust in there. Uh, and that all depends on how closed off your, your house is. You know, if it's really open or closed, uh, that ha that will have a lot to do with it as well. So that's over at oldworldgardenfarms.com. I said it right that one that time, Old Gar Old World Garden Farms, and go check that one out. And uh, hopefully you can save a few bucks and uh, definitely take care of your, your equipment. Our next article comes to us from Urban Survival Site. Uh, this is one on fuel, and uh, you know we always we always talk about uh, fuel, and we talk about generators, and we talk about you know uh, when the when the poop hits the fan that we want to make sure that we can provide for our families and we can do all that kind of stuff. And and one of the the main things is is having fuel, whether it's for our vehicles, 
whether it's for generators, whether it's for cooking, whatever it might be, we want to make sure that uh, we do have some fuel. And so it's just smart uh, to, uh, to, to think a little bit uh, about this and, and think through it and see what you would do. Uh, so again, this, uh, this article is entitled, Make Your Fuel Storage Last As Long As Possible. All right, here we go. During a disaster, fuel is an invaluable resource. The problem is that everyone else needs it as badly as you do, and supplies are limited. That's why anytime a natural disaster strikes, the lines at gas stations seem to stretch on forever. Even if you do have the time and patience to sit in one of those lines, there's no guarantee that there will be any fuel left when it's your turn. For this reason, it's important to keep a stockpile of fuel. However, contrary to what you may have seen in shows like The Walking Dead, fuel doesn't last forever especially if it isn't stored correctly. To help you get the most out of your fuel storage, we've put together a guide to make making your fuel last as long as possible. Buy plenty and use it sparingly. The first and most obvious tip to making your fuel supply last is to stockpile as much as you can and only use it in an emergency scenario. There's never any there's never any way to know how long a disaster and the aftermath of that disaster is going to last, and even the most well-informed experts often underestimate this duration. With fuel storage, as with most aspects of disaster preparedness, it's a good idea to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. While your fire code may limit how much fuel you are able to store, always store as much as you are allowed. Remember, though, that you are going to have to replace your fuel periodically, so make sure you are only storing as much as you can reasonably afford to replace at least once a year. The types of fuel to store. Gasoline isn't the only type of fuel to stockpile. Depending on what type of, type of machinery you own and whether or not you will need this machinery in a disaster scenario, you may want to stockpile diesel as well. In addition to this, consider setting aside fuels such as kerosene or propane, which can be used for light, heating, and cooking purposes. Even if you don't rely on these fuels in your day-to-day -day life, they may prove incredibly valuable in a disaster scenario. Containers for storing fuel. It's a good idea to always store your fuel in approved containers, not only for legal purposes, but also because these containers are designed to protect the fuel from the outside elements and extend its shelf life. Luckily, fuel containers come in a variety of sizes and you can always store multiple containers if you need more fuel. When filling your containers, never fill them above 95% capacity. This allows a little room for the fuel to expand. Make sure the cap is screwed on tight and you're good to go. So where to store your fuel? First and foremost, be sure to keep your fuel containers well away from any ignition source such as water heaters, space heaters, or furnaces. 50 feet is the recommendation for how far away fuel should be stored from ignition sources such as these. Second, store your fuel in a cool, dry place that is out of direct sunlight and well ventilated to prevent fume buildups. Heat and sunlight cause the fuel to evaporate, so be sure to keep it near room temperature. Likewise, if there's too much moisture in the air, that moisture can seep into the fuel and render it ineffective. With that said, don't store your fuel inside your home as the fumes may cause some problems. Instead, keep it in a shed or garage that you have easy access to. If you are storing your fuel on concrete, be sure to place a piece of plywood underneath the container. That way, if any fuel spills, the plywood will soak it up and you won't have standing puddles of fuel 
which are a big hazard, a big fire hazard, excuse me. Lastly, make sure to keep your fuel away from any pets or children to avoid them having accidentally tip your containers over and spill all your precious fuel. Add fuel stabilizers. By far the best way to extend the life of your fuel is to add a quality fuel stabilizer. Fuel stabilizers contain antioxidants and biocides in order to slow the fuel from breaking down and prevent microbial growth in the fuel. As soon as you purchase fuel that you intend to store, your first step should be to treat it with fuel stabilizer produced by a trusted brand such as Stable. Follow the instructions on the bottle to make sure you are adding the right amount for the volume of fuel you're storing. And there's, um, there's others as well. Um, uh, pry or Pre-G, uh, and that's a for, Pre for gasoline, and then there is a Pre-D for diesel. And uh, there are some I've read uh, at times and heard that even those might uh, might like re uh, I don't know the proper term, uh, but you know you you lose some of your the properties of the gasoline uh, as it's sitting there. But uh, the the pre G and the pre D uh, help to put a little bit of that back in there. And so uh, you know it might I think it's a little bit more expensive than stable, but if you're talking about storing fuel, you might want to go ahead and invest in that. Uh, that might uh, keep it a little bit longer than uh, than what you you know what you're storing it for, as far as you know if you're using stable there. All right, so here we go. Continuing on, rotate your fuel as needed. The sad reality is that even if you do everything right, fuel isn't going to last forever. It's a perishable product that you are going to have to replace from time to time in order to ensure it will work when you need it to. Unfortunately, there is no hard and fast rule for how long gasoline and other fuels will last. Their shelf life is dependent on too many factors. On average, though, gasoline will last three to five months without a fuel stabilizer and six to nine months with one. Diesel can be stored for six to 12 months and kerosene also lasts about six to 12 months. Propane, on the other hand, does not degrade like other fuels and can hypothetically be stored indefinitely. What often happens in reality, though, is that the seals on the propane uh, degrade as the years go by and propane leaks out. When storing fuel, be sure not to overestimate how long it will last. Replacing your fuel storage can be costly, but it's better than it not working when you need it most. Uh, so let me, let me go back up here to where uh, we're talking about the fuel I have heard, and I believe I've already read this on the podcast before, where the times for fuel were actually a little bit longer than what he's stating here. Uh, in fact, I know that I have used fuel that is older than five months, uh, maybe even the six to nine months with stable in there as well, or I, I used the pre-G and, uh, and it worked without any problem. Um, so, you know, and then the other thing that you can do is if you have gas that's a little bit older, you can always kind of mix it, uh, you know, and, and uh, with some, some better gas, uh, I, I guess. Uh, I've heard people do that as well, but I've heard these, uh, these time frames just a little bit longer for gas and for diesel. So uh, you're really going to have to, uh, you know, maybe do a little bit more research on that, especially if you're looking for the fuel for, for storing it purposes. Now, one of the, the things that, uh, well, let me go ahead and finish reading. There's one more paragraph here at the conclusion. And then I want to come back in and just talk about uh, a fuel storage uh, strategy here. Uh, the conclusion is this. Fuel may not be as much of a survival necessity as food and water, 
but it could still mean the difference between life and death in the right scenario. While most all fuels save for propane are perishable, proper fuel storage techniques can help extend the life of those fuels as much as possible and ensure that you have fuel available when and if disaster strikes. All right, so let me let me just talk very briefly, and this is, I mean, this is not my deal. I have heard, I can't remember who uh, said this one, and, and like I said, I've, I've read so much and listened to so many podcasts and watched so many videos, sometimes I forget where I, I, I hear things from. But uh, one of the strategies for, um, for storing fuel is to have uh, 12, uh, you know, uh, five gallon uh, containers, right? I mean, those are kind of expensive depending on where you get them, but usually like Walmart, you can go ahead and get them and, and maybe 10 to 12 bucks, if I remember correctly. Um, I might be off on that one, but uh, you know, if you can get 12 of those containers and slowly build, I mean, you like buy one a month, right? And then you would uh, spray paint on uh, the side of it the number so if you did it the for the first month in january well let's just say you bought the first month in november we're in november right episode 190 is uh, first airing in november so you go to walmart you buy a five gallon um maybe not a five gallon there maybe they're two i don't know maybe they're five uh, they're pretty big yeah five gallon uh fuel canisters i'm i'm sorry man i, I am kind of like out of it a little bit uh, you know, just, uh, let me just, we have had some, um, we've had cold fronts kind of move in and, and go. And so we we're having cold fronts come and, and, and go and, and people are getting sick all over the place. And I have a meeting in the morning and the person that I was meeting with was like, Hey, I'm, I'm aches and pains. I feel, uh, you know, I have fever. I don't feel good. My boys, two of my boys stayed home today because they were running fever as well. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not feeling anything like that, but uh, I kind of feel the allergies in my tongue sticking uh, to, the, to the top of my, the, the roof of my mouth. And so i uh, having problems uh, <laughs> getting things out today. And so I, I guess I need to stop a little bit more often and uh, hydrate a little bit. But anyway, so uh, let me get back to chasing rabbits. Um, chasing chasing virtual rabbits and not even so that i could eat them uh, so you got a five gallon uh gasoline or or fuel uh you know container and you go and you go to the you know the the you go to the gas station you fill it up uh and uh maybe before that you get a spray paint a spray bottle and you spray paint you know the, the number 11 for November on that right and so you go ahead and uh, you bring it home maybe you throw some stable in there or some pre G you throw it in there and you go ahead and, and you put it in your garage and line it up uh, to where you know it is safe and so it's not close to any water heaters or anything any kind of flammable source kind of like what we read in the in this article right so then next month you know in December you do the same thing again and then in January you do the same thing again right and so you do this every single month so you wind up having, you know, uh, five gallons of, of gasoline for every month. And so when you get around to the month of November again, right, so we've come another year. So this would be November 2018. You take that gas in, uh, in uh, 
for for that for number eleven the number eleven canister and you put it into your gasoline tank uh, into your vehicle and then you go refill it and then you just start this story I mean that's your your storage program your strategy that you just use on a on a regular basis now so you can do it that way where you have twelve uh, twelve canisters and uh, that might that might be kind of expensive but you're not doing it all at one time you're you're doing it. Uh, you're doing it, you know, at one month at a, at a time. You're doing one canister, right? One fuel canister. Um, the other way that you can do it is is do it on every, um, you know, every other month. You can do it on the odd months, right? So uh, let's say you don't do it for this month, but you do it for December. So you do it for December, and then you don't do it in January, but you do it in February. You don't do it in March, but you do it in April, and so forth and so forth. So instead of having 12, you have six. And then when you circle back around in December 2018, you go ahead and dump that fuel into your, your gas tank and then re, you know, you replenish that gas. And so, uh, you know, you'll have, it's a decent amount of gas there, man. So if you ever run into a situation where you need, uh, fuel, you're purchasing it at different times of the year when it's maybe a little bit more affordable, maybe it is a little bit more expensive, or maybe you do look for uh, times where if it's a holiday weekend or a holiday, uh, you wait, you don't you don't refuel at that time, you wait for uh, the price to come back down and, and you go ahead and, and refuel there. And so uh, that's a strategy that I had heard about. Um, I haven't done uh, that myself. I started building up. I think I got to about six uh six canisters and uh, I kind of stopped just because of space and um, and so uh, you know done that and then times where we've gone up to the country I've just grabbed one of those just to kind of make it easy so we wouldn't have to stop and uh, for the for the generator and stuff like that so I need to I need to definitely revisit that again because it's not hard to do it's uh, it's very easy to do and uh, uh, definitely it will last when you put a little bit of stable or you put in that pre G, I mean, that's what really, that's what I would buy the pre G use that and it, it will go a year with no problem. All right. So, uh, again, that's over at urban survival site. Uh, go check that, uh, that, uh, link out. I'm sorry, that, that article out. And then there's, um, there's links throughout it that you'll want to check out, uh, as well. All right. So our last article, I think this is a really good one that uh, you need to consider and really need to think about. Uh, I do appreciate salty and spices take on um, you know on some medical things there because they uh, it, it's not necessarily the things that Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy are talking about. There's some other medical ideas there that you might you might want to consider, and this is one of those that come into play. And so uh, I always think that medical uh, you know, medical information is important, and they're not—they're not outright giving you medical information like a doctor would, and they definitely—they give you, uh, you know, the their little, uh, you know, their little speech in here. Uh, hey, I'm not a doctor, and so you know, uh, I'm just—I'm just, you know, these are just my thoughts, basically, right? Um, the whole libel thing, but uh, things that probably people don't really consider and people don't think about. And uh, there are some things that you can do now uh, when things are relatively uh, calm and, and you have access to all your doctors and all the medication that you need. And I mean, if you can afford it, right? Like I said, I think it's getting out of control. And one day it might be so expensive that just normal people 
aren't going to be able to to uh, to have access to doctors and medicine and all that kind of stuff. But uh, and a lot of people are already choosing that actually now. Uh, but I think this is uh, something that we need to be thinking about and uh, putting this information in the back of our minds or maybe printing it off and putting it in a binder and uh, you know committing this to, to our uh, our preparedness. Um, mindset. So again, this article comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You.com. The article is Situations Change, Sometimes the SHTF, Life Changes, Medications Changes, but how a prepping example. So let's go ahead and read this one. It has been nearly a month since the earthquake. Many businesses were still closed and the bridges were out so you couldn't drive far, but Sue had been doing fine. Lots of wood on hand to keep the house warm, window seals full of solar lanterns charging during the day, plenty of food and water on hand, and she even still had a month's worth of her blood pressure meds. She'd been rationing her coffee and cigarettes, though, not wanting to run out, and spending her days on cleanup and rebuilding. She'd been feeling strange the last couple of days, though, and today she almost blacked out when climbing the steps with an armload of wood. What now? And how could she go to the emergency clinic with such a puny-sounding complaint when they were so swamped? The good news. All the exercise plus reductions in caffeine and nicotine have helped Sue bring her blood pressure down. The bad news. She doesn't know that yet, so she's still taking the meds to lower it. Normally, when we need a medication adjustment, we see a professional about it. By far the best option under normal circumstances. What do you do, though, when situations aren't normal and there's no professionals we can reach to ask? We'll, ho we'll hope we'll ha have thought about it ahead of time. Please note, I'm not a doctor and I'm not advising you on what specifically you should do about prescription medications. I do hope to give you some ideas on what you need to know to prep this aspect of your life. There's a related article here and with some thoughts about what to do when the meds threaten to run out. There's an article link that you might want to go check out. Why is this worth thinking about? Some prescription medications are given in the same dose to nearly everyone and seldom need adjustment. This post isn't about them. This is about medications where your need varies based on your physical and perhaps mental situation. Blood pressure, diabetes, and thyroid medications, as well as many that treat psychological conditions, are notorious for needing amendments. The problem is not overdose in the usual sense of too much of this is toxic, but more of some of this action is good, but more is not better. When how much you need changes, the dose better change too. The first step, get the expert advice while you can. Hey, you've already paid for the doctor's time. While you're with her, why not ask what's determining how much she's dosing you with? How would you know if it's enough and if it's too much? Would there be any reason you should stop taking it or skip a dose? It's good stuff to ask even without being a prepper, after all. For example, when Salty was prescribed some blood pressure medication, I asked what specifically it did. Like many first prescriptions for blood pressure, it was a diuretic. Well, we often take long bike rides on summer afternoons, so I told the doc that and asked if he should still take it on warm long ride days. Why no, losing water is plenty easy on those days, so it's better to skip it to avoid dehydration. If I hadn't asked the doc, wouldn't have thought to say anything about it. What if you can't get a straight answer? My first impulse would be to get a different or better doctor. 
That's not always the right answer though. There are a couple of other approaches. One is to ask a pharmacist as opposed to a tech who dispenses pills who might or might not know much. Another is to check it out yourself. All right, so let me just stop right there because I just thought of something that um, I, not a lot of people know, and definitely I didn't know it, and uh, not too long, well, it was a long time ago. Um, it just seemed like not too long ago. Uh, a while back, I had a, an abscess in, the, you know, in my tooth, and I thought it was the allergies. You know how sometimes you have sinus, um, and it, uh, this happens to me all the time, sinuses, and you feel it in your teeth, and you think maybe it could be something, a cavity or whatever, and uh, but it's not. It's just allergies. But anyway, so I thought it was that. I was taking allergy medicine. It wasn't going away, and finally it got so painful that I'm like, all right, I, I need to go the, the, to the dentist. And so the dentist looked and he said, yep, you have an infection, you have an abscess, we're going to have to pull it and uh, all this good stuff. But first we need to get rid of the infection uh, before we do any kind of work uh, on you. And so, you know, he gave me a good teeth cleaning, uh, you know, and gave me a strong antibiotic to take care of it. Well, um, I was started taking the antibiotic, I think it was a Z-Pack. Uh, started taking it and nothing it, it wasn't going away I mean it was still there the pain was still there after about uh, three or four days I went to go back to see him and he's like yeah he goes I'm going to give you another antibiotic but if it doesn't if this doesn't catch it if this doesn't take care of it uh, we're going to have to I mean you might have to go to the uh, to the hospital and get intravenous antibiotics and I mean I've never had to deal with that so I'm like what the heck you know what, what's going on here and so I was I was at the, the pharmacy getting my, my second strong, I think he gave me a stronger antibiotic at that point. And I was talking with the pharmacist and I brought up that I was taking uh, vitamins. And he asked me what vitamins I was taking. I think I was taking like vitamin C and, and, and you know, some other things. And uh, he said, no, you don't want to be taking vitamins when you take antibiotics because vitamins will absorb the antibiotic. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, because it's like you think that you're taking something good for you, vitamins, but it's actually harming you when you're taking an antibiotic because it's absorbing the antibiotic and your body's not getting it. So I stopped taking the, the vitamins and I started taking that second antibiotic and it worked. It completely worked. And I just, that's something that I always remember because the doctor uh, or the dentist did not know that at all. And he was a good dentist. He knew what he was doing, and uh, you know, if if he hadn't retired, I'd still be going to him. Um, but you know, he didn't he didn't realize that he didn't know that, but the pharmacist did. And so when she brought up talking to the pharmacist, I think that's a great idea because they can they can really talk about the drug interactions there. In fact, I think we already read an article this week talking about. Uh, uh, actually, no, there was a, there's an article on the on the website uh, about uh, pharmacists and, and, and the chemistry aspect of it. But anyway, uh, I, that has helped other teachers, uh, staff members. When I was um, uh, on the campus, uh, I, had, you know, I had a couple of staff members who were like, man, I'm on my second antibiotic and it's not working. And my first question was, are you taking vitamins? And they're like, yes, I'm taking vitamins. I'm like, well, that's what it is. Stop taking your vitamin. And they stopped it. And in, 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 I think it was like two or three cases throughout the years. That has been my recommendation to people and it, and has, it has worked. And so uh, if you didn't know that, maybe that's a, you know, a little extra tidbit for you. Um, but uh, if you, for whatever reason, need to take an antibiotic, don't take any vitamins at that time. Just go ahead and stop doing that. 
but oh, wait a minute, I am not a doctor, and that is not uh, you know official medical advice. That is just my opinion. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Oh man, uh, I'm just gosh, I'm all over the place today. All right. When I was curious about how Salty's prescribed dose of his blood pressure med compared to normal, I did a little web search. I looked for links that were run by groups I considered reputable. There are both governmental and private sites that I've found to provide reliable information. I'll go where they make their money by placing ads for medical supplies, but I don't bother going anywhere that is affiliated any more closely than that with drug sellers. Highly reputable research hospital run sites such as those by Mayo and John Hopkins have proved good to me over the years. Searching by his drug name, I found the range of doses normally prescribed for different uses of the drug, as well as some relevant cautions, cautions and notes about what other treatments work well or should be avoided in combination. If he lost control of his blood pressure and we couldn't get more personal professional input, I at least know what range of doses are considered reasonable and helpful. Be prepared to notice a problem. You probably know what symptoms you were having to get yourself prescribed a particular drug. If those symptoms reappear, it seems as if the dose you're taking no longer suffices. On the flip side, you should be aware of what the other side of the spectrum looks like. Too much action of the drug. If you're taking something to lower blood pressure, you should be aware of what too low of blood pressure feels like. If you're on medication for a low thyroid, you should know what too much thyroid action feels like so you can recognize it if it pops up. Check it out now while information is so easy to come by. They're, they're free, that, there's a free prep for you. If feasible, have materials on hand to measure the variables you're trying to control. I think a blood pressure cuff and decent stethoscope should be in everybody's home med kit and their use in everybody's skill set as well as what the target values are and what would constitute worrying high or low. Manual versions take a bit of practice, but only a bit, and once you know how, you know how forever. No batteries required. Similarly, diabetics should have means to measure blood glu glucose. As far as sight conditions, hmm, ask your partner to tell you if you're particularly crabby. That could be dangerous territory. All right, so good article over there. I'm surprised that there's not any comments in this one because I think this is a, a very valuable, uh, very valuable uh, article, uh, and especially for those uh, are you know senior, uh, senior citizen uh, preppers out there who uh, who are on medication. Uh, you know, this is something that you want to look at. This is something that you want to consider. Uh, you know, if you're on blood pressure medicine, if you're on other kind of medicines, uh, you know, talking with the doctor and, uh, you know, finding out, hey, what does this medication do? And, you know, and so that kind of go from there and, and talk a little bit about it. Uh, you don't want to set off, you know, your doctor's, you know, uh, kook alarms or anything. And uh, you don't want to talk about the apocalypse and the zombies and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's like, hey, find out what it does. In, in salty and spices case here is a diuretic. And so, like, okay, so you're, you're losing water, you're losing. So, like, okay, so if we're working out, if we're doing, if we're going to be working in the garden, if we're going to be working in the hot sun, then, yeah, you might not need too much of a, of a, of a dosage. Um, you know, if that's the situation where you're going to be coming from. So uh, I think this is a great article. There are links here that you want to go check out. 
definitely if you're on medicine, you want to go have some conversations with your doctor. At least I know that I would be having that conversation if I was on any medicine uh, that I needed to be on. So, uh, you know, something out there that you um, possibly need to be working towards uh, there. So that's it, man. We had three articles and uh, got through them. I told you they were a little bit shorter than normal. Got through three articles about the same time that we, you know, same amount of time we get through two on a regular basis. But uh, there was a, a lot of, a lot packed into today's podcast. So I hope you uh, receive some benefit from it. A lot of good stuff. If you're, if you're looking for more preparedness uh, material, we have tons of it over at PrepperWebsite.com. A lot of the times... Uh, that we we don't even get to to you know bring to you on the podcast. Uh, you know we're just trying to keep up with, uh, with the stuff that we can that we can bring to you here. But there's a lot of stuff over there at PrepperWebsite.com. Hey, if you get a chance, come over to the Facebook group. And uh, if you haven't joined it, join it. Be a part of that group. Uh, you know uh, we'd love to to see you over there. And even if you just kind of want to hang out and uh, you know read what people are saying. Uh, that's good, but if you want to come and contribute, that's that's uh, that's good as well. If you're on the email list uh, and you're listening to this on Tuesday, be looking in your email. I'm sending out an email from uh, from the email list and a couple of cool things that I think might be interesting interested for interesting for you. And uh, so be be looking for that. And uh, if you if you get a chance and uh, you love to leave a comment, love for you to come over to episode 190 over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and uh, leave a comment there. Always love to hear uh, from listeners and get feedback from you guys. All right. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.